Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Something Something Podcast. My name is Eric Kasloff, and with me, as always, is Larry Sands. Larry, how are you? I am good. I feel like Donna Summer right now because I've we've survived. I've survived yeah. the month of October, our Spooktober, which yes. is absolutely amazing. Um, now, had a before, lot of great guests on. We really did, man. And so many of them from New Jersey. And that always makes me happy. Exactly. Exactly. I think the bulk of the guests were from New Jersey. I know. Two I know. It, it, well, even even but now for everybody that that's getting back with us, this is our first show back. Uh, it is uh, our first regular show from Spooktober. Uh, one of the really good things is we had uh, Sam Zimmerman on. He is the yes. senior vice president of programming at Shutter, and to be able to talk to him about everything he's got going on, talking a little bit about the business side of things, it was super super yeah. great. Um, but man, all the haunted house houses, the owners that we talked to the lighthouse, it was just amazing. Yeah. But Larry, before we get into our guest, you were not here for most of October. <laughs> That's right. Tell everybody where you were. I was in Greece and, and it was absolutely the most stunning place. And I've been to a lot of places, but when you go to Greece, it is beautiful. The mythology that surrounds Greece is wonderful um, to be able to to see where the mythology like started and took place. is Absolutely amazing. Um, I do want to talk about it. I absolutely do. And I want to bring Sasha on. Um, we'll do she, a whole show yeah, about yeah, that. But Larry, will. we have got a very cool guest on today <laughs> who wrote a yeah. pretty interesting book. So. Tell everybody about our guests, man. Yes, yes. Mark, David, first of all, I just want to say welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. You're welcome. Thank you're welcome. You. Now, you are, you're, this is, so this is a cool part about what we get to do. We get to talk to not only creative people, but creative people in their particular field that are award winners. So you are an award-winning author, and from what I read, you have more than 20 books available? Yeah, I kind of stopped counting at 20, so um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's 20 or 21, it's something, it's something like, I always have to keep, go back and count again, so I just stopped. That's awesome. Spoken like a true creative that just keeps working at, at their craft. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, you have a brand new book that actually just came out in October. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. And your it's not spooky, so it's not a spook. It's not a spooktober book. Okay, but that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> now, now, from from what I read from the bio, your book, and tell me if this is fantasy or if this is reality right now. That that your book, The Moon Quest, The Legend of Quintana. Did I get the name right? You got the name right. It's okay, the first book good. in the series. <laughs> yes, yes. And from what I remember about your bio is, what if everything create? Why am I trying to do this? Tell us what the book is because when I read your bio, <laughs> I, I'm trying to put it in a creative way, but I, I'm not. I'm not getting there. But from my takeaway from reading the bio is a lot of, of what you wrote about is kind of happening these days with the exception of people killing, killing, you know, the author or whatever for so, so, so far, so far, anyhow. Yeah. Right. I know. Tell us, <laughs> tell us a, a little bit about your new book and sure. the parallels of what's going on in today's society. <laughs> well, and there's a funny story about the parallels, but I'll, I'll tell you about the book first. Yes. So if you can, you know, I, I'm going to start with four words that, that maybe the first four words you knew after the first words you knew, and those four words are once upon a time. Ooh. So, um, you know, they evoke everything, you know, it, it's like you hear those words and you're, and you're in another world, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, imagine if you said, if just saying those words could get you thrown into jail. Mm. or worse, could get you killed. And that's the situation in Quintana, um, 
which is the land that the Moon Quest takes place in. And in Quintana, you're not allowed to dream, you're not allowed to imagine, and you're not allowed to tell stories. And if you're not allowed to tell stories, then there is no once upon a time, right? Right. Um, right. In Quintana, um, all you're allowed to do is focus on facts, on official facts. And because you, because there's no imagination, there's no discernment, and there's no and there's and there's no wisdom. It's just the facts that are presented to you in this world by the king. He's he's, he's the guy in charge. Um, and this has been going on in Quintana for a very long time. And the legend has it. Um, and this is going to link up to the title, um, that the moon was so saddened by the silence in the land that the moon shed tears that extinguished her light. So the moon has not been seen in Quintana for, for many, many years. And so that's the quest, the quest to bring story back to the land and light back to the moon. Wow. wow. You've got me hooked, um, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. So, so it's so in a sense that the story about censorship, it's the story about, um, in a sense, book banning, um, which of course is what's going on in this, not only in this country but in this country right now. Yeah. But the, the, I'm not going to say it's a funny thing. The peculiar thing about this is that um, I began writing this book a long time ago in a different country. I'm originally from Canada, so just up the just up the road from New Jersey, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> and, uh, and and I can, I can smell the well. Tim Hortons from my front yard. There you go. Have I said out yet? Can you hear my can you hear my accent? <laughs> Your Canadian is showing. <laughs> right. You know, I've been here a long time, and that out, I can't get it out. So, um, but I began writing the book actually in Toronto and then and then I finished the first two drafts in rural Nova Scotia, totally oblivious to the news and, and anything. But what's amazing about this story for me, because this is this is a this is a new edition of the book, partly because of current events. What's amazing for uh, uh, but the story for me is that every time someone has read the book, they've said through through these years, they've said, Wow, this is current. You wrote this about now. Wow. And now it's really about now. But it wasn't intentional. It wasn't conscious. That That's crazy to hear because who would have thought in this day and age that that something like what's going on with really the erasing of, of history, I would think, mm -hmm. you know, would be taking place. And what's even more stranger. But, you know, I think after doing this show for a long time and knowing what I know about creative folks. Truth really is stranger than fiction. And well, <laughs> I was going to say fiction is a whole kind of truth of its own. Right. And and you'll notice that on the um, on the tagline on the on, on, on the cover, it says a true fantasy. Yes, yes, yes. And that's kind of and that's kind of my point, because it's not factual, certainly, but it's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, it is true. Um, let's talk a little bit because your overall, I mean, I, just from the, from your overall, how you sold it and, and it's like Eric said, you got us hooked and I think that's <laughs> the main thing. Um, and, and how long ago did you begin to write this book? So I was teaching, um, a writing workshop in Toronto back in 1994. It was back a while. It's different. Different millennium, let alone different century, different decade, <laughs> different millennium. <laughs> wow, that's, that's um, weird to hear. Yeah, that's I know, true. I know. Um, and um, something I did, something I never do, I'd never done before. I actually wrote the exercise I was teaching as my students were writing. Wow. Until that moment, I would always just keep an eye on them and just make sure nobody needed me, whatever. And 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 that particular evening, maybe it was the voice of my muse, or maybe it was the voice of the Moon Quest. Um, I just felt like I needed to do the exercise and I began to write and what came out of me was something I had no conscious knowledge of. It was a story uh, about a strange looking man um, riding a strange looking coach pulled by two strange colored horses. Uh, one was um, and I didn't know what the hell I'd done. And then, <laughs> and the next morning, I was intrigued enough that I thought, I wonder if this is going to go anywhere. And I just kept writing and writing and writing. I knew nothing about the story as, except as I was writing it. 
um, from one day to the next, some days from one sentence to the next. Um, and uh, a year, uh, this is really bizarre, and it, but it's true, a year to the day of that workshop later, I was now living in rural Nova Scotia. I finished the first draft. Um, but a third of the way through, I had a title, The Moon Quest. Those horses and that gentleman and, the, and, that, and that coach, that carriage, do are part of the story. And um, that was The Moon Quest. And I did not know what the hell I was doing as I was writing it. And there's an irony there because in the story, um, so the, the um, there's a young man who's sent out on this quest. He's very reluctant, as most heroes tend to be. Um, certainly as I was writing the story, as a matter, as a matter of fact. Um, and um, he is given no direction when he's, when he's sent out. And he's just said, follow your heart and trust the stories that come to you to guide you. Now, these are not stories he already knew. These were not stories that were he was taught. These were not stories um, that were passed down. Um, and he, he's living um, in hiding in a community of bards of storytellers. And they were in hiding to escape death, basically. Um, so he, he knows the stories he's been taught, but those are not the stories he's to tell. And so he travels telling the stories that come to him as they come to him. And that's pretty much how I wrote the book. Wow. Wow. It's you know, interesting it, you said that. Um, You don't know this about us. I'm a filmmaker, heavily on the screenwriting side. And one thing I always tell people is never tell the story you want to be told. Tell the story that wants to be told. And when I adapted that idea into my writing, you know, I started having success within my screenwriting because I think when you beat a story up so you force it nothing could come from that but when you let the story guide you and let the characters do things you don't want them to your writing completely changes well in fact funny you should say that because i've actually written the book about screenwriting because i i wrote a screenplay adaptation of the moon quest yeah i saw the that, screenplay book that you yeah. wrote i'm interested in it yeah. And I had never written a screenplay before. I didn't know. And I knew these things were technical and there were rules and all this stuff. And I, can't, and I went to Borders at the time I, and I scoured the screenwriting books looking for one that would work for me the way that I create. And I couldn't find anything. And in the end, I just wrote the screenplay pretty much the way I wrote the novel. And ultimately said, you know what? There's a there's a market for people who don't want to write engineered stories, and I'm going to write a book on screenwriting. So that's right. It's called organic screen. It's called organic screenwriting. See, what me is the thing is I look at writing overall, especially screenwriting, as fifty percent create creative and fifty percent engineering. Because mm -hmm. I, when you work within certain genres, you know. Now here's my question. I am disciplined in a way that my writing always starts with a paper and pen outline then mm -hmm. i move to my index card outline then back to a paper and pen outline because i noticed you also wrote a book about writer's block mm -hmm. writer's block to me i i get headaches and it's painful i do that to keep myself from writer's block what is your writing process like Sure. Um, I have never outlined or plotted anything. And my big secret is when I was in high school, I don't know if they still do this, but when I was in high school, again, back in the last, in the last millennium, um, when you, when you put in, when you submitted an essay, the teacher wanted an outline with the essay and my strategy then not knowing what I was doing and not knowing quite how radical I, I, I was, I wrote the essay first and then wrote the outline. Uh, <laughs> um, to match to match the essay, so I basically have written almost everything the way I just described the Moon Quest to you. I just start and allow the story to carry me along. Um, and um, I, in in all my books for writers, I have six now, I think. So it's more than one hands worth, right? We were, we were talking yeah. before about how many books I had, <laughs> I couldn't count. Um, and. 
I have a technique I call writing on the muse stream. And that comes from my first book for writers, which is called The Voice of the Muse. And it's kind of a free writing technique where you just keep going and don't stop. Um, and you just let the story carry you forward and you deal with all the all all the engineering stuff in the revision process. As I was say, a lot of times, you know, when you go that route of it, your first draft is in a way your outline. In a sense, yeah, sure. It's sense. just a very, very full, uh, it's a very full outline. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what was the, because for me, as a screenwriter, trying to write short stories is a completely different world. You know, like I know in screenwriting how to put my dialogue, but how many times do I put the word said Tom or anything like that? And also what I love about, you know, novel writing is you have no budget. You know, your spell check <laughs> is your budget. But when you're screenwriting, I work mainly in the horror genre. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think I, I limit myself as much as possible because it forces more creativity, I feel. But what you know, novel writing, it's what word, what word can I spell or make up? It's a much more freeing, I think. How was it for you going to screenwrite, you know, adapting your own novel? What was that? Right. Like? Well, it's funny because there, um, there is a scene, it's kind of, kind of, kind of back, back to back scenes in the Moon Crest that are kind of violent. Uh, which I actually wrote very reluctantly and kept looking for ways to take out of the book uh, <laughs> because it felt because it felt like I didn't want to be seen as a person who wrote that right. Mm -hmm. But in the end, someone actually a reader explained to me why it had to be in the book once it was the book was published. And I can tell you that story. But I didn't want those scenes in the movie. I thought, great, I can get them out of the movie. They're too violent. I didn't want an R rating. Um, but I so I had to find a way to get those scenes and that and that essential part of the story into the screenplay um, without without sparking an R rating. So that was that was the creative part of that. It was saying, okay, well this I cannot have these scenes as written in the book in the screenplay. It's just not possible. Mm. Um, and so what can I do? And I kind of banged my head against this for a long time praying I could actually take the scenes out altogether. Um, and in the end, I found a, I found a way. Um, so yes, I had to be more creative in that respect to make something that on the page, you can do what you want, but on the yeah. screen, you can't. Yeah. 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 Uh, quick question before I forget, actually, and then, because I want you to tell your story about why, from the reader's perspective, that had to be oh, in the book. sure. Right? But let me ask you this, is... I know. Okay. I, I say this all the time on the show. I'm not a heavy reader, but I love contrary to what Eric thinks. I love watching movies and I know that <laughs> apparently, apparently Harry Potter was a book. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently, but, but there's, but there's, I know there's a lot of people who, who are avid readers and they do go and they watch films, right? of those adapted books. And I understand that when you adapt a book, you can't put everything into a movie, right? And maybe this is why I don't really, or this is my question is what, when you do an adaptation, how do you decide what to leave in and what to leave out of your book in terms of because obviously when people don't don't w read the books they watch the movie then they go back and they go oh okay i get it i don't think there's a problem as opposed to somebody that first reads the book then watches the movie and then they go but they messed everything up <laughs> so, so how how does that work with you and then please by all means because i think it's highly important to especially for the creative audience that we have to understand why it's a little important to also listen to your audience, I think, in mm -hmm. a way. I, I don't know. But yes, tell us about the adaptation, how you work that. Sure. Um, so go, if we go back to how I wrote the book, which was I didn't know what the hell I was doing consciously, obviously mm -hmm. unconsciously. I knew exactly what I was doing. One of the things that I say in my writing workshops and, and in my writing books is that is the story is smarter than I am. Mm. 
Mm. Um, which really is saying that my unconscious mind is smarter than I am, yeah. right? It's, 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 it's the same thing. Yeah. And so when I could not find, not only could I not find books on screenwriting that were helpful to me, I could not find anything on adapting a novel, existing mm. novel wow. for the screen. And so I said, okay, what do I do? Um, I thought, well, you know what? I didn't know how to write a novel when I wrote when I started the Moon Quest either, not consciously. Um, I listened to the story. So, in adapting the the story for the screen, I wasn't listening to the book; I was listening to the story. Oh, hot dog, what man. does the story need in order to be complete on the screen? Recognizing that not everything can be there. Mm. So it was a very, so it's a very, for me, writing is a very intuitive process. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm listening. And, um, and what I get doesn't always make sense. You know, again, as if we go back to the book for a second, once I had a sense of where the story was going, which took a while, um, I'm still listening. And every once in a while, I would get a set, I would, I would, find myself writing off in a direction that made no sense to my conscious mind in the context of the story that I thought I already knew, I, I now knew. And it was a huge struggle not to control it, but to let the story go where it wanted to go. And every time I did that, it came back around to where it needed to be perfectly. And in a way that consciously, at least, I could not have conjured up or could not have manufactured. So with a screenplay, it was very similar. It was like, okay, what, what, what is truest to the story? Because, this, because really the book is one form of the story. The screenplay is one form of the story, but it's the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's really yeah. in charge. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, when I was first asked to teach writing, I thought, I don't know how to do this because I don't, I, I can't tell you what to do. <laughs> um, but I found ways, obviously, because I, I do it, but because it took me a while to figure out what it was I did do, mm. because I wasn't, there was no, there was no, there was no conscious anything. In fact, my, my first rule for writing in, in, in many of my books is there are no rules. Um, you know, again, it's, and that's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's, it's really about listening to the stories about trusting the story. Um, and even my, I have a book on editing and revision. Even there, I say it's not just about um, um, taking a machete and hacking your work to bits, which a lot of editing books talk about. It's really, again, it's still a whole brain process. It's still staying in, staying in touch with the story and making sure that the changes you make are really um, true to that. Um, and that brings me back to the other question you asked me, but the reader who said, you know, of course, <laughs> you stupid author this is why this is why it needs to be in the yeah. book so um and again which and again it'll prove that the story is smarter than i am which is, which is true um so these scenes are not violent scenes in and of themselves they're scenes where toshar the main character is told by the companions that he picks up he, pick, he has three companions he picks up along the way they tell stories from their lives. One of them tells a story of how his village was was rampaged by the king's army. Um, another one tells a story about a, a dream of how she was raped by her father. Whether, it's, whether it ever happened or not, we don't know. Um, and they're very reluctant to tell these stories, um, just as I was very reluctant to write them. And, um, and they're, not, they're, gra- they're more graphic than I felt comfortable with. I don't write horror, so you know. Yeah. Um, and and this reader said, you know, this book is about the freedom to tell our stories, to share our stories. Of course, you had to have these people breaking down their reluctance to share their 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 hardest stories with 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 their closest companions. And I went, well, of course. But I couldn't see it. I was just so caught up in my own trip about I don't want people to think I write this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And really, this was so important to the book, um, yeah. and I could not. I could not see it. Yeah. Yeah. So very from, interesting. Oh, sorry, Larry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. From what it sounds like, with the story of the book, um, this is a bigger question. It sounds like you're a Tolkien fan. From the type of book, <laughs> well, so is high well, fantasy like something you're fond of, or was this a new adventure for you? 
Well, um, Tolkien, of course, planned and plotted everything out right down to the language, and that's something that I don't do. However, um, I read a lot of fantasy in my teens. Um, like who? I had a, um, oh God, I read. Uh, I don't even remember. I mean, my teens are a long time ago too, okay. so I don't. I don't remember. But I did rediscover fantasy in my thirties, and I would read. Um, and that's actually when. You know, I was given uh, three a three book set of Lord of the Rings as a bar mitzvah present, which again goes way back. I could never get into it; it was just really? way too dense. And it wasn't until, again, this is when I was in Nova Scotia. Um, I went on a retreat, and the library had an audio record, a BBC audio recording of the first book, and I listened to that, and I was hooked. And then I went out and and bought the books, bought the books again. But I read um, I read Madeline Lengel, and I have. She is a favorite person of mine, not only for her not only for her fantasies, but for for her approach to, to, to her approach to writing. Um, and um, got more names than I can remember, I'm afraid, because this this goes back a while. But I don't read fantasy now, partly because I don't want to be influenced by other people's mm-hmm. storytelling and 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 ways of doing it. Um, so I haven't read much fantasy in, in quite a few years. I just, I just turn it out instead. Yeah. Yeah. What age range or what's your target audience for this book? Is it a young adult crowd or everybody? Cause it sounds like young adults and, um, middle grade would eat this book up. Well, again, I mentioned Madeline Lingle a moment ago. Um, and, um, I heard her interviewed many years ago. Um, she did not write A Wrinkle in Time for young adults. She wrote A Wrinkle in Time because it was a book that, that basically told a story she had to write. Um, it's, and it's a, it's a quote I love because I feel the same way about the moon quest. I didn't have, a, I didn't have a, an audience in mind. This was a story that was pushing its way out of me and all I could do was get it onto the page. Now though, having said that, um, yes, young adults devour fantasy, and young adults um, who have read the book love the book. Um, but adults love the book too, and uh, not only fantasy readers, because the adults who are, are more in tune with current events find this book fascinating for the reasons we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, so I've got young adults. Um, I would say anyone from about thirteen or fourteen up is a good is a good is a good um, just because of the violence um, is a good. Um, um market for that we just lost yeah somebody yeah um and um adults i mean the most gratifying readers for me are the non-fantasy adult readers who are discovering fantasy because of because of, of the story and so i think that that what's gratifying for me is the story yes it's very popular with fantasy readers but it transcends fantasy readers because it's current yeah. And it's relevant. One, yeah. one, in fact, one of my readers reached out to me and said, this book is stunningly relevant. I went, cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It very you'll, much you'll is. Like, you'll yeah. like to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, I guess this goes back into the creative part, um, which, by the way, I should mention this because I don't know if you have your book in front of you. But and I didn't mention this in any of our <laughs> excellent. Uh, would you would you like to read a little piece like sure. um, of it uh, sure. somewhere in this episode coming up? But um, a, from a more creative like a question is, do you need to know? And this is Mark David for you and a question for Eric. Um do you need to necessarily and and I get what I'm asking, but I want to get your guys's uh, response is, do you necessarily need to know the age range of your audience? Um, and uh, Mark David, I think I know I'm going to let you. OK, ready and action. Mark David. <laughs> well, like I said a minute ago, I had no age range in mind. Yeah. I had um, and. As I've written more books in the series, um, yeah, I just, for me, I have to write the story that wants to be written. Yeah. And in a sense, I have to trust the story to find its, to find its audience. Right. Um, 
interesting about Harry Potter, each successive book in the series had a higher age range because each successive mm-hmm. book in the series got a little bit more violent and a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on the fifth book in this series right now. Um, wow. So there's, there's, there's way, way more to come. So I can I, I I'm not going to tell you about the, the the books in between, but I will tell you that the um, that the Star Quest with the with the creepy cover, um, I have a funny story about that cover too. But I, with, with the creepy cover um, was um, um, there, I'm not sure if you said there's more violence. There's actually torture in that book, Ooh. and that and that did not make me feel very good and comfortable writing. But it's so integral to the plot. Just as 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 the violence in the Moon Quest was, it's not it's not even remotely gratuitous. And again, if I could have taken it out, I would have. Um, um, but again, you know, today's thirteen and fourteen year olds aren't me when I was thirteen and fourteen, and probably aren't you either when you were thirteen yeah. or fourteen. Yeah. Um, much more sophisticated, have been exposed to a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't have a problem with that. Um, with with those readers reading it, but it wasn't written for any audience, yeah. any particular audience. It was written because I had to write it. Nice, Eric. What about you? Um, yeah, I do target Pacific audiences when it comes to book writing. Again, like you have to understand, there are rules when you're writing for a kids' book, like the Goosebumps books, the R.L. Stein Goosebumps books. The whole thing is. The scary stuff can never touch you. It can be out there coming to get you. And again, language and things like that. And now with the screenplays, there's something, one of the the most brilliant producer in Hollywood right now, Jason Blum of Blumhouse, you know, they make movies for five million, like this now, Five Nights at Freddy's cost 10 million. It made over a hundred million. And he said that when it comes to PG-13 horror, you know, you can't make a movie for teenagers and make it R-rated that those teenagers need their parents to see it. Mm -hmm. So there are things that, you know, you have to think common sense. Like, here's another story. I was offered a a job to direct a faith-based film, a Christian movie. And the writer of this Christian movie that would be sold in Christian bookstores had a scene in it where there was a strip poker scene that took place in a church. Now, I don't know what church he goes to, but but what (laughs) I know in most churches and synagogues, now this was, there was a reason to it, but in that type of fiction, you can't do that. Because of, of the audience that's being sold to, of like course. let's say, you know, I'm well, you know, our brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith, you can't write a book for a rabbi and have something like that in it because it would offend him and he would put the book down. So you got to think who you're writing this for. You know, that's that's a that's a that's a good point. And actually, Mark David, you had mentioned that you know about you know, not putting in the violent, you know, scenes in your book because of your own, because of you, because of what we yeah. think. And, and it made me realize and remember I had done, you know, living in Los Angeles, did a lot of plays and I came across, um, I, I did a play that I was offered and I was reading it and I was like, man, this kid, he says a lot of, he drops a lot of F-bombs and he's just like, you know, F this and F that. And, and I thought to myself, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if this will be a good thing to do. And I don't know if this is any, any, like any, any, the same vein as you guys, but I think it's important that as a creative artist, whether it's music, acting, writing, anything, we have to keep we have to put aside our um, our feelings of how we feel about stuff because I think when you do this, it, when you let your your uh, tendencies, your likes and dislikes to get into your creative process, then it kind of skews everything up and it takes away, I think, from the message 
that is supposed to be what that particular thing is about. But I, I was reading it and I thought to myself, I, I don't want to do it. And then, but reading it out loud somehow made me go realize, no, this is probably the exact same. This is the exact best thing to do because not only, you know, is it, it really shows the despair that that the character was in and he hit rock bottom and then it, there's there's a there comes a change with him and his father oh, it just gave me chill bumps talking about it but those are the things that make and it's weird because because a lot of times the things that we think are not going to make a difference and it's just kind of like not really a throwaway or it's like oh it's too much of this those are the things that actually make the difference in in your audience in the viewer in the reader in the listener those are the things that really bring out that that um it just it brings out the greatness and i thought i'd i want to bring that up because i think it's important to for people to realize all the creative people that yes you can have an opinion but you can't put your opinion into what the piece really is about real, what it really wants to say. Does that make sense? I think, you know, I think, I think we, the way you just phrased it is perfect because that's why I say the story is smarter than I am. It's what is, yeah, what is, yeah. what does the story want? Not, and I, you know, I, I, I could not bring myself to censor myself as much as I wanted to. Yeah. And the, again, the moon quest was almost banned from a unity bookstore because of those scenes. Um, I had someone, this was, this was amazing. I had someone who actually wanted to teach a course at Unity based on the book, mm. which was hugely gratifying. Um, and the minister okayed it. And the bookstore manager read those scenes and said, no way in hell is that in my store. Wow. And because she read them out of context. Right. And it was appealed to the minister who read it in context and, over, and overruled the bookstore manager. Mm. Um, I think that's that's the issue. It's not like I'm throwing or anybody. I'm not like I'm throwing these scenes in there just 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 for jollies. Right. I didn't want the scenes in there in the first place. Yeah. But um, in fact, the way those scenes happened in the in the, the first draft of the book, I wrote in the third person. There's a re there was a reason for that I can, which I can share afterwards. But the subsequent drafts are written in the first person, and the book is in the first person. And at a certain point. Some drafts down the road, I thought, you know, I've really got Toshar, who's the main character, who's telling the story, but I don't really have his companions because of this whole first person thing. Um, I need to do something to get into their heads. So I do a, a technique, which I which I teach. I uh, I usually do it in, in a class. I'll, I'll lead a guided visualization. Well, I can't really do that for myself, but I kind of close my eyes and imagine the character in front of me and began to have kind of a meditative dialogue with each of these characters. And these characters told me these horrific stories. Wow. And I did not want, <laughs> I did not want to hear them. I did not want to write them down. And once I wrote them down, I did not want them in the book. They said, you know what? They'll never fit in the book. Um, so I had those scenes and some other scenes that, that came to me during this process. And I sat down with the manuscript and I'm reading the page and turning the pages and turning the pages. And I see exactly where those scenes belong. And I went, shit, I wrote this story leaving space for something that wasn't there yet because I couldn't deal with it yet. And now here, here's where it goes. Minimal transition, it just felt, they just fit right in. I was blown away. Again, the story was smarter than I am. Um, and it keeps, <laughs> it keeps proving that over and over again. <laughs> You, you know, when you're editing, uh, you know, editing video um, and you don't really realize it, but when you're shooting a bunch of stuff and Eric, you may have seen or done done this with Hillsborough Road. But, you know, when you're editing, you come across and you're like, oh, my God, this is this is going to be bad. This is horrible. And then it just fits somehow. And and those are I I call those happy mistakes because those mistakes aren't really aren't really mistakes at all. It's just it's supposed to be there. You just have to figure it out. You just have to figure it out. And and Mark David, I love I love the fact because 
look, rules are rules. I get it. Everybody has rules. Every you know, and especially filmmaking. Oh, you've got to follow this rule. You got to follow that rule. You got to do this. You got to do that. And and then when you get into it, when you get into filmmaking, all the rules that that they teach you, you have to stay away from. That you have to avoid at all costs. Kind of go out the window, because when you're under schedule and you got to do this, you got to do that, and you've just got to make everything happen, because there's a schedule. Fuck the rules. Screw the rules. <laughs> right. And and I get it. Rules are made to be broken, but not every. And I think this goes for a lot of creative people, because I think they beat themselves up about it is. Oh, no, there's a rule. I can't do this. There's a, And I get it. Eric, you're absolutely right about rules for for writing for your genre. And and Mark David, I see that the rules are there because you don't really need rules. Those are the things that that you just let happen. And when you so, when you yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say years ago, um, as a freelance editor, I edited a um, silhouette. Silhouette was, was owned by I don't know if it still is was owned by Harlequin Romance at the time, and I edited silhouette manuscript, copy edited it. But what that was, that was a whole different kind of an experience. <laughs> but they get, but we're talking about genre fiction. They give you as an editor, they give you a guidebook. What has to happen by what page? When the first kiss oh, has wow. to happen? I mean, it's 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 as, and these days because that was back in the eighties. I'm sure it's a little more graphic, but back then it was it was pretty tame. Um, and so, yes, for certain kinds of material, there are certain ways you have to present it. But that's not how I write, and that's not what yeah. I teach. Yeah, amen to that. Amen. <laughs> and, and you know, as a teacher, and and going through your website, you have. And this is what I love, you know, because I think you're the type of creative artist that you do. And I mean this in the best way possible. You do what you want to do and and you let the story come to you and you believe in what you do so much. And you you've learned. Not from mistakes, but you've learned from doing you've learned from doing and. In in my mind, when I look at your website and I see all your books about screenwriting and and really writing, I think in general, it's really it's really awesome that you have so much knowledge and passion to give people that that I mean this is it's it this is your life and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Welcome. So Thank you. So again, I go, I go back to Toshar, who's told, you can't tell the stories you already know. You can't tell the stories you've been taught. You can only tell the stories that come to you as you tell them, which was exactly how the moon quest happened for me and how every other story happened. You know, um, a lot of writing teachers and writers say, well, I can't start the story until I know what the ending is going to be so I can write to that ending. Mm. And... Um, I don't think I'm trying to think if I've ever known what the ending was going to be, or if, or if I've ever been right about it. That there's the key. So in the Star Quest, which we shouldn't be talking about, but I will anyhow. Um, um, the ending, so surprise. I'm so I'm sitting in my living room, writing the last scene of the first draft, and what comes out is not what I expect. And I'm I was so I was stunned, and kind of like with those scenes in the Moon Quest I mentioned, I thought, well, this is. This is so perfect. I never would have kind of come up with that just by trying to figure it out. Mm. But I'm going to have to go back and really fiddle with this book to make this ending work. And I didn't. I had written to that ending without knowing it, without consciously knowing it. There was nothing I had to change. It was perfect the way it was. And I was, again, I thought, Again, the, the friggin' book is smarter than I am. I don't know what I'm doing. All I'm doing is writing what comes, but I'm doing it not from here. I'm doing it like Toshar has to do from here and and, and listening and trusting. And yes, in, in the editing process, there's this fussing that needs to happen. Um, the first draft of the Moon Quest, I think was like, um, I think it was 400 manuscript pages, wow. uh, which was huge. And, and because, because I never went back as I'm writing, the stuff changed, 
uh, names changed, you know, there were there were things that weren't going to work. I just kept going. I kept moving forward. So the second, the, the subsequent drafts were, were uh, was a mess, basically. Um, but I just kept moving forward and trusting the story. And in the end, it all worked out. This is, you know, this is this is the book of mine. My first book that's won the most awards. Wow, wow. Yeah, I there there was a. Um... The, a statement you just made about your second draft was was like a mess, right? And and I think this is true. Again, I this is a we're a creative podcast. We get to talk to a lot of freaking brilliant creative people, and and you know a lot of young creative people think that just because they don't get it right the first freaking time, they need to quit and change their name and their background and do something else. <laughs> you don't, you don't. How do you work? Through, and okay. And I realize, I, okay, first, okay, two things. I realize we're, <laughs> we're running kind of long, but, and I promise we're going to wrap up, but not until you read a portion of your book, a little okay. piece of your book. But um, there is, there comes a time how do you how do you or how did you trust yourself enough to let it be a mess everything a mess and and how did you let yourself just finish the first project because i think your first one's kind of like oh god and but how do how do you trust yourself enough and and now i get it cuz you know yourself as a writer but how did you trust yourself enough to to finish that mess that that you had made, you know, in, in writing, the first couple of books. Writing the Moon Quest was a, was one of the most stressful experiences of my life <laughs> because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I I didn't know that I couldn't write a book without knowing the story. Mm. Um, um, and although I taught the technique I was writing with, I'd never thought about of it as a using it for a full length piece. I thought about using it for little vignettes or just as, as exercises. Um, in the end, um, I um, had to force myself to write in bed in the morning before I got up so that I would not create, um, I would not procrastinate all day long to avoid, having to, to avoid having to do it because the level of creative trust involved for this um, and the level of letting go control involved for this was huge. Huge, 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 uh, bigger than anything. I mean, I've done bigger stuff since, but until that moment, that was the biggest thing I'd ever done. And I would, um, you know, I'd get up and I'd go to the bathroom and I'd get like uh, some fruit. I'd go back into bed. <laughs> and I actually wrote the, the first two drafts of the Moon Quest longhand, which is a whole other. And I'd, um, um, and I would, with my pad, and I would just write and I would just force myself to keep going and not, and, and, and it was hard. It was really hard. Now I know it works so that I don't have that level of stress, but then it was, it was, um, it was hard. And, um, you know, I ended up moving, I ended up selling everything I owned and moving a thousand miles east to Nova Scotia, rural Nova Scotia. Um, I had an AM radio that got one station. Um, I had no TV. Um, uh, the newspaper came out twice a week um, where I was and it, I didn't do this consciously for this reason, but I think, again, the talking about the story, I think the story shoved me out there in a sense, wow. because the only way I was going to get this done is if this was my life. Um, and um, um, it was, it was amazing. And, um, you know, I, I, I recorded my first audiobook. I recorded for the moon quest um, back in the summer. Um, um, and that was, I have, of course, one of my little quirks is I read aloud and I'm writing, which is always kind of fun in Starbucks and people looking at you, <laughs> kind of strange. Um, especially in the days before earbuds, right? Um, um, but reading aloud as you're writing or reading aloud as you're editing is not the same as reading aloud for an audience. And although I read bits of the book out loud, I'd never done the whole book. Hmm. And um, it was just an amazing experience of my own work that I had never had before. And um, I was blown away. I was blown away by the, all the ways the book still moves me. 
all these all these years later, um, and and all and all the things that I hadn't seen in the book through all my previous readings because I was reading it out loud. When you're reading it out loud for an audience, you're focused in a way you're not when you're reading it just quietly, because everything I mean you act. Everything has to be spoken to be gotten, right? Not right, just yeah. not just for yourself. Yeah. Um, and I'd never wanted to do the moon quest or my fiction myself. I just didn't think I had the chops to do it. And people kept saying, no, <laughs> you do it, you do it, you do it. And finally I said, well, I'll record, I'll, I'll record the prologue and see what people say. And people fell over themselves. Right. Um, by the way, prologues, what rules? Do not put a prologue in your fiction. Uh, two, of, two of my Quintana books have prologues. Uh, because that's what the story demands, and that's what I'll that's what I'll read for you in the time when we get to that. Yes. But it's it's like that's that is such a key part of the story, um, and it has to be there in that way. And fuck the rules. I mean, what, right. what, what, in this case, it, it's yeah. the rules didn't matter. Um, it's what it. the story it's what the story required. Really, I love it. I love it. I tell you what. Let's go ahead. Yeah, can you can you read the prologue? That that'd be yeah. super amazing. Yeah, yes. let me just let me just do this, which I'm glad we're not on video. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And um, by the way, sitting next to me in the chair is my dog. His his <laughs> name is Kiri, and he's named after a character in the book. That's, That's awesome. So cool. That's so freaking cool. That's uh, so, not a main character. He's an important secondary character. Man. So um, I don't have great light here, but we'll do the best we can. So this is the prologue again. This is how the book, how the story begins. Non came to me in a dream this night. It was early. I had not been in bed long, and the night was newly dark. It is time, she said, time to fix the moon quest on parchment. I was gladdened to see her after so many seasons but I was not cheered by the message she bore. I tried to engage her in other discourse, but she was single-minded as only a Tikhon dreamwalker can be. It is not for me to boast of my exploits, I argued. Others have sung them, let them continue. No, she said, and her silver tresses shimmered as she shook her head. It is your story to tell. It is for you to fix it in ink, to set the truth down for all to read. I tried to resist, to shut Nan's words from my heart, to return to the dreamless sleep that preceded her appearance. The Tikhan speak only what we know in our hearts to be true, and my heart would not close to her, even as my mind longed to. Only by forcing my eyes open and my body to this table was I able to banish her milk-white face from my mind's eye. Only by letting my quill rasp across the blank parchment have I stilled her voice but my quill hovers over oceans of emptiness. I don't know what to write, where to begin. The story has so many beginnings and no clear ending. As a bard, as elder bard, I am trained to know how to weave disparate elements into a tapestry of word and song that brings light and meaning to life. When recounting other stories, I have no difficulty the tales unfurled from my tongue as if by magic, as if Menor herself were singing through me. Nan says, it is my story. Perhaps she is right. Is that why the words come so reluctantly? So many seasons of storytelling, and still I hesitate. Of all the stories to stick in my throat, how ironic that it should be the moon quest, a tale of the freeing of story itself. You see how confused I am? I have not even introduced myself. My truth name is Toshar, and I am old. So old that most who knew me by that name have passed on to other worlds. Toshar. Even I have forgotten the boy who was Toshar, the youth who embarked on the moon quest all those seasons ago. They call me Kolar now, the ancient word for elder bard. It is a sign of honor and respect, but it separates me from the youth I was. Perhaps none is right. 
Perhaps it is time to bring back Toshar, to allow the boy I was to touch the man I had become, the man I will soon cease to be. Soon it will be time to release the ageless spirit from this aged body and move on to other realms, set off on other journeys. I have seen it, and I welcome it, but it cannot be mine until I have told this story. None insists. She speaks, even as I sit here in full wakefulness, staring at the shadows cast on my flickering taper. Now they loom large and menacing. Now they flit and flutter in delicate dance. I see it all now, the leap of light against dark. The shadows will tell me the story, and I will write what I see. I will write until my fingers and beard are black with ink. I will write until the story is told. Only then will I be free to continue my journey. Only then will my daughter, Kinta, be free to continue hers. She is nearly ready. Rylan O'Garan taught her well, taught her the lessons of the moon quest. Soon, she will live them through my words and will be, a free, and will be free to assume the mantle of her birthright according to the ancient orders of succession. From father to daughter, mother to son, the mantle passes. The balance is done. I was an exception to the law of balance, a law as old as the land itself. But those were exceptional times, the darkest of ages, in the land where once upon a time was a forbidden phrase, in fact, the only legal tender. That was a land I was born into, a land of slaughtered bards, a land dulled and divided by fear. That, <clears throat> that was Quintana. And this is its story and mine, a story that begins once upon a time. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that is fan flipping tastic. Amazing. I'm hooked in. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but, I, but you're not allowed to have a prologue, right? It's, it's against the rules. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank God you don't listen to the rules. Mark Thank David, God. you you are abs. I can tell you. You, you're inspiring. You're very inspiring. And I am very, so, very much. I'm so flattered and thankful that, that you have been on, on our show. And we'll definitely have you back on soon. I know. That. Oh, absolutely. happy anytime. Anytime. Absolutely. This has been fun. I, I tell you, hey, I've got is... 20 books. You can have me back once. Exactly. 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 Where where is your book available at sure. at this very moment? At this very moment, you'll find it at all major online booksellers anywhere in the world, in paperback, in ebook, and yay, an audiobook. And you awesome. can uh, narrated by me. And you can also find it on my website, which I is com. Okay. So this is I've got so before we started recording, I have to tell you. I was so excited to jump on your website and I was like, and, you know, talking to Eric, I went to your book section and uh -huh. lo and behold, I was looking, I said, oh, there's Moon Quest. That's the one we're going to, oh, there's, oh, there's book one. Oh, there's book two. And I was scrolling down <laughs> and lo and behold, what did I see? Staring right back at me, my most, I don't want to put this out there to the world. I don't like snakes. What was staring at me right in my oh, eye was a snake, <laughs> and it's that's the cover of the Star Quest. The cover of the Star Quest. We will call we can call it a serpent if you if you feel better about that's it. That's even worse. <laughs> it doesn't make it better. It's just worse. <laughs> um, there was a podcast I listened to. I used to listen to, and uh, Ricky Rackman's podcast, Larry. Oh yeah, and I he love did it. an yeah. ad for custom serpents oh, man. which is basically they crossbreed snakes no i stopped listening to the podcast <laughs> i can't even see snakes on tv i get scared and cover my eyes i can't yeah i can't why well, i gotta pick my feet up and and look around <laughs> to make seriously sure. yeah. that's yeah. how tariff so if i when yeah. i buy your book I'm going to have to cut the cover off, set it on fire, and then move out of my house. Well, the good news is 
As far as I remember, there are no snakes in the Moon Quest. Awesome. Okay, good. Okay, so, good. Awesome. So, good. Good. And that'll get you so hooked, you'll 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 be okay with the snakes in the next book. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I tell you, <laughs> Mark David, you are absolutely again. You're inspiring. You're so much fun. And and really, really quickly, can people contact you because yeah. you're you are uh, a, the uh, not a counselor but a teacher and a, co- a coach and a teacher. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So so it's okay for people to contact. Yeah. You. So there's a contact page on my website. And I'm also on all major social media. Um, and my username, most places, is just Mark David Gerson, the whole thing. Um, so Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, or whatever it's called now, um, and Instagram. <laughs> um, I have a whole bunch of videos on YouTube, including some book trailers and some stuff, yeah. some inspirational stuff on writing. So, uh, yeah, that. but by all means, um, go to my website, fill the contact form, and, and I reply to everybody. Um, not always immediately, but as quickly as I can. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times for being on the show. And again, it was an absolute blast to have you on, sir. Thank you. It was a blast to be here. All of the links will be in the description. If you're listening in on anchor, Mark, David, thank you so much for coming on. And Hey, everybody remember, like we say each and every week, support our troops.